I've said it before and I'll say it again. We as believers oftentimes live way below our means because we don't know who we are in Christ. There was a couple, I never knew them, but when April was little, it was a couple that was connected with her family and just lived down the road. And her family kind of helped look after them. They were an elderly couple. And um, I've heard the story told multiple times. That's the only reason I'm sharing it. It just makes me think of this, is that the man, uh, they, this couple was, was very, very wealthy. And um, they didn't live like they were wealthy. They lived very simple lives. And, and the man passed away. And the wife, all those years that they were married, for years and years, probably 50 plus years that they were married, uh, he took care of all the finances and she had no idea how much money they had on anything. And so anytime something come up, uh, you know, hey, you need a new car, or you need a new washer or dryer. She said, well, I don't have money for that. And they would have to sit down and explain to her, hon, you have enough money to buy everybody in the, in the neighborhood one, and then it still wouldn't affect your, your, your financial status whatsoever. And, and it's silly and it's funny to look at it that way, but the truth of the matter is, is you and I, a lot of the times we live our lives and spiritually we, we live like we're poor and bankrupt, when the truth is, is we are rich in Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, dwells inside of us, and lives and moves and has His being in us. And this morning, I just want to continue to talk about this. uh, And I want to pull from 2 Corinthians 5, where we've been reading over the last couple weeks, and just continue in that passage. I want to talk to you today about the fact that you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God. Now, right now, as I say that, there's probably already resistance in someone's mind because all we can see are the things we've done wrong, the things that we struggle with, our thought patterns, our activities, things that we struggle with, and we stop and we say, wow, I, I, I am not, I would not call myself righteous. A lot of us say with good intention, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we like to leave that name tag of sinner on our lives in some sense, allowing ourselves to remain sinful. Listen, folks, you have not only been declared righteous, you have been made righteous by God. 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read everything that we've talked about thus far because it all goes together. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When I look at this passage of scripture and I see it in its whole, I see that God is reconciling us, that he is balancing our lives, that he is not counting our debt against us, that he makes us a new creation. And that new creation that he makes is a righteous creation. When God made man, he made man very good. When God made man, he was righteous in the beginning. I don't care what the atheists say. I don't care what the evolutionists say. Man was not a a little bitty mindless cell that grew into something better and continually gets better. Man was made very good. Man was made righteous. Man sinned. Man needed a Savior. Amen? So as I look at this passage, I want to look at verse 21 there at at the end of what we were reading. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God made, it says. God made. This was God's plan. 
This was God's plan. You know what I love about our God? Is that one day when Jesus was ministering, he comes upon a tax collector named Matthew, and he begins to minister to him, and then he goes to Matthew's house, and while Matthew, he's at Matthew's house, all of Matthew's tax collector buddies and lost friends show up to eat dinner with Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus? He ate with them. He fellowshiped with them. And then the Pharisees stood outside and said, who is this man that's going to go in and eat with these publicans and these sinners? And Jesus turns around to them and he says, look, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We have to understand that God made. This is a God plan. This is a God vision. When we start talking about the righteousness in you and I that God is bringing to us, it's just as real as the trees outside. It's just as real as the sky when you look up. It's just as real as the clouds. It's God made. Your righteousness, the righteousness that you received at salvation, is not fake. It's not imaginary. It is not more movable than just a tree. Listen, folks, it is real. This is the plan of God. God looked in, and from the very beginning, I'm just going to get off my notes and talk because I can see I'm running out of time already. In the very beginning, God made a plan. And the Scripture makes clear that Jesus Christ is the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. We know that in the very beginning, before there was a tree, before there was sunlight, before there was anything, before you and I were ever here, God knew what was going to happen. Listen, if you're going to make any kind of decision, you can't fly by the seat of your pants. If you're going to do something right and you're going to do something good, you've got to put some thought into it. You've got to be thinking down the road. You can't just think in the here and now. I've always told young people and I've counseled adults the same thing. That's a decision you should have made before you ever put yourself in the situation. If we haven't made the decision before we get into the situation, then we usually make a bad decision because it's led by our emotions and our wants and our feelings. But when we make a decision before we get into the situation, it's made with wisdom. It's made by the Spirit of God. It's made with the right heart. So many people make bad decisions because they didn't expect something to happen and then they get caught up in the moment and they go with the flow. Listen, a lot of people for a lot of years have acted like that's how God has been with the creation. Well, He created man good. Oh no, man fell. Now what are we going to do? God is not reactive. He knew from the very beginning. This is the plan. Jesus going to eat with a Matthew, Jesus reaching out and ministering to the lost was a God plan. It was put in place by God. Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. When you look at me, you, you, hear, you see the Father, you hear the Father. He said, I only do the things that my Father does. And this is what Jesus did. He went and ate with publicans and sinners and said, hey, look, I, it's the sick that need a doctor. This is the plan of God. Mankind fell. Mankind turned away from God. God couldn't be reconciled to him until he became a new creation and was made righteous. God is not going to intermingle himself with sin. They had to be made righteous. It's a God plan, folks. He loved you. He loved you so much that he made an avenue by which you can be saved and not only saved but made righteous. Secondly, him who had no sin. God made him who had no sin. This plan of God involved the sinless Jesus Christ. He was sinless. He was spotless. 
He was innocent to the law of God. I love the instance of Jesus when he was found at 12 years old away from his parents and his parents were looking for him and he got rebuked and was a little bit in trouble. And the scripture says from this day on, he obeyed them and everything that they said. He continued and followed his parents. Why? Because he had to fulfill the law of God in full righteousness. He couldn't dishonor his mother and father, could he? He continued in all righteousness. He didn't break any of the laws. People were constantly after him. Listen, folks, today people want to project Jesus as sinful. That's why they like to bring up Mary Magdalene and make up all kinds of false lies about her and Jesus having been in love and having children and everything else, even though they were never married. All this nonsense that people throw up is because Jesus had to be sinless. Had to be sinless for you and I to be made righteous. They confronted him about healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus told him in John 5, 17, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And because of this, they tried to kill him all the more. He told them that the Sabbath was created for man rather than man created for the Sabbath. They had taken what God had meant for a blessing and turned it into bondage. All kinds of things that they confronted him with. Bringing the woman. Why would they bring him to the woman caught in adultery to Jesus? Why would they do that? They brought her and put, him, put her at his feet and said, what should we do? All trying to trap him, all to cause issues. Do you know that according to the Mosaic Law, those men who brought that woman were the witnesses. And according to Moses, they were the ones that were to cast the first stone. According to the Mosaic law, those witnesses who testified against someone as being guilty, and they were found guilty based upon the testimony of those two or three witnesses, then those witnesses were the ones that were to lead the congregation in stoning them to death. That's why Jesus looked at them and said, He who is without sin cast the first stone. And they look at each other and they recognize their own sin in their own lives, That's what they believe Jesus wrote on the ground was their sin or the Ten Commandments, one or the other. And and they had to stop and realize, I'm not without sin myself. I, I deserve to be where she's at. Jesus set things in the right order. He was sent by God with God's plan and he was sinless. And he began to teach about this righteousness and he displayed this righteousness. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. It was the Father's plan that He'd come and be a worthy sacrifice, and this required that He remain sinless, yet He had to be tempted. He had to overcome with each temptation, with each moment. He had to make a decision. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father there's any other way let this cup pass from me yet not my will your will be done in every one of these moments he thought about the father in every one of these moments he thought about the plan in every one of these moments he kept himself pure so that you and i could be made righteous god made him who had no sin thirdly to be sin for us this is this is mind-boggling to me that Jesus would be willing to take sin upon himself for us. The innocent to take the punishment of the unrighteous. 
the innocent to take the punishment of the guilty. In the book of John, John looks up, John the Baptist, and he says this, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And another time when Jesus was passing by, John declared again, Look, the Lamb of God. Yeah, there's, there's references here to, you could look at it, and we've all talked about what happened with Abraham and Isaac and the, the ram caught in the thicket. Yes, we, we can go through all those accounts. We can talk about the Passover lamb and all of these things. But more importantly, we need to understand what John was saying to the people. Leviticus chapter 1. The very beginning of the book of Leviticus. <clears throat> it sets things in order. Has anybody ever read the book of Leviticus before? It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. But when you start, you stop and you look at this, Leviticus sets it in order immediately. And this is what John was referring to. Leviticus 1, beginning in verse 1, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering of the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock, If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting." In the very beginning here of of the Mosaic Law, the Lord established and taught them the responsibility of of sacrifice and the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of their sins. I grew up on a farm. We we calved, and we had a lot of little calves running around. They're cute. Got great big eyes, great big eyelashes. Their eyelashes about this long hopping around, playing. I couldn't imagine, because I had sinned, having to take an innocent little animal, put my hand on its head, and not only kill it, but slaughter it. Because of my sin. But that was a regular occurrence. This is This is what they had to do. This is the plan of God for them to see the transference of their sin to that which is innocent. They slaughtered the animal. You don't just kill it and drop it. They they slaughtered it. They cut it to pieces. They had to take the innards out, the the organs, and wash them and do things with them. They had to take the blood and sprinkle. They had to take the hide off and do something with it. Listen, man, they slaughtered this little animal. Jesus Christ was slaughtered for us. He wasn't just killed. He wasn't just nailed to a cross. It wasn't these pretty pictures that we have in our mind. He was beat beyond recognition. His back ripped off. His body just ripped to shreds. Hanging on a cross naked. Before people, in front of people, in front of his mother, in front of his friends. He was slaughtered. He was innocent. Mankind took his hand and put it on him. And slaughtered him. Yes, I know Jesus gave up the ghost. Yes, I know Jesus laid his life down and took it back up again. But he allowed himself to be slaughtered first. Why? So that we can be righteousness. The sin, if we believe upon him, 
as our Lord. It's just the same. It's actually better than the example that was laid out where the, the individual put their hand on that animal's head and they would slaughter it and God would apply and attribute, cover their, their sin and attribute it to that which is innocent. But today we have a worthy sacrifice. We have the ultimate sacrifice. We have the sacrifice that is able to take all the sin of the past, all the sin of the future upon himself and he did. He became sin. He became sin. For a moment, but as he hung between heaven and earth, the, the lies that had been spoken about him that got him put on the cross to begin with were true for a moment. No, he wasn't guilty, but he took upon himself all the lies. He took upon himself all the thievery. He took the, the weight of the thieves that were next to him. He took the weight of the Roman soldiers who were killing him and piercing him. He took the weight of that adulterous woman. He took the weight of the drunkard, the liar, the, the glutton. He took the weight of the greedy. He took the weight of the religious upon himself. He became all things in those situations so that he could receive in himself the fullest punishment. I'm going to be talking about that on Easter. He took upon himself from one week the fullest punishment of what our sin deserves so that a few days later we would have the opportunity to have life to the fullest. It is the richness, it is the richness of God that he would pour out upon us the righteousness of God, so that we would become something. We would be reconciled. We would be changed into a new creation and a righteous creation. All this was done so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness defined as this by Webster's, acting in accord with divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin, morally right or justifiable, translated the word that was translated as righteous out of the Greek here, it says, a state of him who is as he ought to be, righteousness, the condition acceptable to God, the doctrine concerning the way in which man may attain a state approved of God, integrity, virtue, purity of life, rightness, correctness of thinking, feeling, and acting. So God's plan was to make Jesus the one who was sinless to become our spotless lamb so that our sins would be transferred to Him and He would become sin for us, taking the punishment and death that we deserved and replacing it with righteousness that is of God, a righteousness that makes us free from guilt, acceptable before God. I want to remind you that the creation, the new creation that we are, the new creation that we've become, is a creation of righteousness. We are no longer a stench in God's nostrils. Hear me when I say this. Too many of us walk around and live our lives in fear and constantly feel like our Heavenly Father is not pleased with us and constantly think that our Heavenly Father looks down upon us and is disappointed in us and is always frustrated with us and always wanting to punish us for things we've done wrong. Listen to me, child of God. You have been made righteous. He doesn't hold the sins of your past over you anymore. They have been reconciled. They have been cleaned and cleared. And you have been made righteous. A father 
will love their righteous children. A father will love his or her righteous child that is behaving as they've been called to behave. Listen, this righteousness that God has given you is a deposit of righteousness, and it is a righteousness that is going to grow as we continue to pursue and seek Him. We're going to continue to be saved, folks. We don't have to every single day pray for salvation. Some people, can I be honest with you for just a minute? I don't know if I'll be this honest in the second service, but as a pastor, I get a lot of pressure from in situations of, preacher, you're not having enough altar calls, you're not having enough this, and you're not having enough that, and you're not, listen, folks, I, I am not here to recreate some kind of a camp meeting. That's not my job. Uh, yeah, I could push and get all excited and push, 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 but listen to me. All that creates is a mindset in people that think we're not, we've not had church unless I've got saved again this week. And that is an absolute deception. Do we give opportunity for people to get saved? Yes. A lot of times we do. Are there times where we have really good sweet altar times? Yes, there are. But, but there are sometimes we just don't. I look out and I look around and I'm led by the Spirit and I'm saying, well, I just don't see where this is going right now, Lord. So we'll go a different direction. The reason I don't like having to make people think they got to get saved every week is because that's, all they'll, that's as far as they'll grow. They, they, they don't know who they are in Christ. I've got to be saved. Oh, oh no, I said I did something wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Now I've got to get saved on Sunday again. Oh, you don't. You need to repent of whatever you've done and say, oh, God, please... Forgive me and help me to overcome like Jesus overcame. And move on. He's not going to now, because you've said something wrong or did something wrong, for the next three years punish you over and over and over for one mistake. That's not my Father. It's not who He is. You have been made righteous. You are no longer a stench in the nose of, of God. Do you know what you now have that you can look forward to? You no longer have to be afraid of death. You no longer have to be afraid of darkness and destruction and separation from God. You now have what to look forward to. What am I looking forward to, preacher? I'm walking into the light of eternity of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be carried to Him by angels. I, I, in my mind, I can picture, and this is really silly. I had this conversation with Dorothy Cunningham the other day. I said, you know, the angels, it says, the scripture says, the angels came and carried Lazarus to Abraham's side. I don't know what happens after a person dies, but I know angels are involved and there's a carrying of some kind. And I said, in my mind, I picture it like the, after the, the 1985 Super Bowl. The Chicago Bears picked up their coaches and carried them off the field. And the place was erupting and cheering. It's the only Super Bowl in Super Bowl history where two coaches were picked up and carried off of the field as everybody stood in eruption and cheering. And in my mind, I see myself someday being carried by angels into eternity. Why? Not because I'm a great person, but because God has made me righteous. Not because I've earned it, but because I put my faith in Jesus Christ and all of my sin immediately went to the cross. And God has made me righteous. And I live righteous. And when I mess up, I go, oh no. Why? People say, well, pastor, you're not completely without sin. I, I, can, I can tell you a specific time about yourself. Well, thank you very much. And if you tell me about it, I'm going to say, God, forgive me for that. 
Why? Because I'm not righteous or because I am? A righteous man falls seven times and what? Gets back up. Falling does not make you less righteous. It makes you human. we got to get it in our spirit and quit being afraid of God all the time. God has made us righteous. The only thing that's going to make you less righteous is when you say, I'm done serving God. I turn my back on Him. I reject Him. And you know what? Even if you do that, He's going to relentlessly pursue you. I have five things, and it's seven after. So I'm going to be really quick. Five things. Why should we rejoice that we are righteous? Number one, the Lord watches over you. Psalm 1, verses 5 and 6, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Parents are imperfect, but God is perfect. Anybody ever have your kids get away from you once or twice in your life? In Walmart or clothing section? Yeah. Because the clothing, those round clothing racks are perfect hiding places. That was the best clothing hider ever. He knows us, or He perceives us. He perceives the way of the righteous. But the comparison between His knowing us and the wicked is that the wicked will perish. There is a love that God has toward the righteous. This is the favor that you walk in today as a believer. He perceives you. Psalmist said, you perceive, you see me when I lie down, when I get up. He says, says, where can I go from your presence? We know that God, listen, you are never by yourself. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. He can see you. There is a knowing. There is a knowing that He has of you. He will not stay apart from you. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. There is a love there, a love that watches over, a love that is pleased with you and is leading you to life. Secondly, the Lord blesses you and protects you with His favor. Psalm 5.12 For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. God doesn't hate you. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, He's made you, He's reconciled your sin, He's made you a new creation, a righteous creation, and He doesn't hate you. You want to know what God wants to do for you? He wants to bless you. You are the righteous. God wants to bless you. And He wants to surround you with favor. As with a shield. He wants to surround you with favor. You know what? It's not even up to you. It's not your opinion whether He's going to do it or not. He has already done it. He's blessing you. He's surrounding you. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. The righteous are favored of God. Sure, Jesus loves you. But I'm His favorite. That's the cool thing. That's the miracle about who God is, isn't it? All of us are His favorite. Anybody ever do that with your kids and sit down and say, come here, I want to tell you something. You're really my favorite. And then tell the other one too, don't, don't tell 
Don't tell them you're my favorite. <laughs> the cool thing about God is, is that his children, all of his children, are favored. We're all his favorite. Every single one of us are his favorite. Because we are favored of God. We are all the favor of God. There is a favor in his blessing. Have you ever received favor from someone? If you have, then you know favor is not a bad thing. Thirdly, his presence accompanies the righteous. Psalm 14, 5. There they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You are never alone. There they are. People were dreadful and fearful. They were overwhelmed with dread, for God is present with the company of the righteous. Now, it's not our desire to make people afraid of us, but the reality of it is, is the enemy so many times has got us buffaloed into thinking that we should be afraid of him. You are the righteous. You have nothing to fear. You don't put your head down on the pillow at night and be afraid. I did something really bad the other night. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have watched it. But I watched about 15 minutes of a movie that I watched when I was a teenager. It was on a channel, one of those late, and I couldn't sleep. It was like 1.30 in the morning, and I, I don't pay for TV, so there's not a whole lot raunchy on my television, you know what I'm saying? So I flipped the channel, and lo and behold, it's the movie Pumpkinhead. Old horror movie. I'm not even going to go into the detail other than there was this, this giant demonic monster going around and getting revenge on people. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's pumpkin hit. So I watched a few minutes of it just so I could see the creature thing again. It's like, I changed the channel. Well, then I shut the TV off to go to sleep. But I wasn't afraid. I wasn't. Some of you right now are thinking he was afraid, wasn't he? <laughs> I laid there and I thought to myself, there was a day in my life where I was afraid of that nonsense. There was a time where I would lay here in the darkness and I would hear every sound and I would think of Pumpkinhead. But I'm not, I'm not afraid because I know that the enemy is afraid when I start moving and operating in the presence and power of God because I'm the righteousness of Christ. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be fearful. I can't help but think when the ark of God would walk into the camp, when they would carry the ark out in front of them, when the Israelites would carry the ark out and go to do battle, that enemies, the enemies would be fearful because they knew the presence of God was with them. Listen, I don't know what it looks like in the spiritual realm. I don't know what I look like as the righteousness of Christ in the spiritual realm, but I know that there's been a light put in me that when I pierce, go in, it pierces the darkness, and I know that the cockroach devils scramble and flee when the lights get turned on. We don't have to be afraid. Fourthly, the Lord delivers the righteous. Psalm 34, verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Have you forgotten the heart of the Father? Have you forgotten the heart of the Father displayed in Christ Jesus? How he had compassion and we look up and we see the passage of Scripture that says, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
And even though the crowds were pushing away the blind men, they yelled all the louder and Jesus heard them and stopped and went back and healed them. That's the heart of the Father. And I look at this and I see a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. How many? All of them. Now stop it. Stop in yourself. Stop it and stop thinking about the things that God didn't do that you asked for. That's the voice of the enemy that will tell you, God didn't deliver me from this. God didn't deliver me from that. God didn't stop this. God didn't do this. Listen to me. Don't go down that path because you are delivered from it. Just because you experience trouble doesn't mean that you aren't, you're stopped from going to a heaven for all of eternity. Listen, don't base your faith on what's happened in this little bitty minuscule life that we're going to live for the next however many years. You've been delivered from all this. Anything that bad that can happen in this life, God has already delivered you from it with the promise of eternity. And yes, a lot of times, He will deliver you from even trouble here. He's so good. And He loves to bless the righteous. I remember how Hannah cried out to God for a son and she was confronted by a wicked, wicked priest named Eli and yet God heard her prayer and she received. I remember the centurion with great faith. Remember the determination of the paralytic's friends to lower him into Jesus' presence as well. Our God is still in the listening business for those who cry out to Him, especially for the righteous. He hears you and He will act upon your requests. Lastly, the Lord will test the righteous. Psalm 11.5 says the Lord examines or tests the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. You know what I love about the Psalms? It's really clear about God. People always say, now preacher, you've know, you got to remember that God is a God of love. God is a God of love. I mean, he just loves everybody. and loves. No, God hates the wicked. God hates the wicked. You can read it over hundreds of times in the Psalms. You can see it in Proverbs. God hates the wicked. God is a God of love and God doesn't hate anyone. And God, listen folks, He hates the wicked. But, the Lord tests the righteous. But the wicked and those who love violence His soul hates. You are not illegitimate children. You will be disciplined by your father. Discipline doesn't always mean corrected because you've done something wrong. Discipline means allowing you to go through some hard things, giving you some challenges, and allowing you to be strengthened through that work and through those challenges. It's not fun. It's not easy. But some assume just because they're going through some difficult thing that God hates them. That God's punishing them. Do you know how many times I've had people in my office, how many times I've gone through this myself, April and I have gone through this. Was God punishing us for something? And I've had so many folks come through my office with the same fear and the same worry who are believers, who serve God faithfully, who are in the Word, who pray, who are pursuing Him like crazy, and yet they sit back and say, I feel like God is punishing me. No, He's testing you. Because he loves you. The Lord tests or examines the righteous. It's the wicked that he hates. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't despise you. It's 
the wicked that are, that are, that are going down a path of self-destruction. It's the wicked in Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed. It's the wicked Egyptians that the water covered over in the Red Sea. It's not the believers. It's not the righteous. Get it, look at it this way. The Red Sea was a test for the righteous. It was a destruction for the wicked. God is not going to destroy you. God doesn't hate you. And God may be testing you, but He's going to deliver you from it eventually. Hang on. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't sit around and say, wow, you know, I don't know if I want to serve this God anymore. Didn't make my bank account full and give me everything I wanted. Don't do that, child of God. You are the righteousness of God. And there are some benefits. He's going to watch over you. He's going to bless you and protect you with His favor. He's going to accompany you with His presence. He's going to deliver you. And He's going to test you. But He is not going to hate you. He is not going to leave you. He's not going to wipe you out off the face of the earth. He's not going to consistently pursue you, overtake you, and destroy you. He wants to pursue you, overtake you, and love you. You are the righteousness of God. You've been made a new creation by the reconciling of your sins and the creation you have become is a righteous one, one that He loves dearly. That's who you are in Christ. We have to live that righteousness out. We have to, out of love and reverence for God, live out that righteousness daily. So my question to you today is, is, do you know who you are? Do you have a different opinion of yourself today? I hope so. You bow your heads with me. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy today. Thank you, Father, for your presence that's here today. Thank you for making us righteous. Thank you for the work that you're doing. Lord, I pray today for peace and comfort and encouragement for your children. Lord, some of them, some of them just, some of them are beat down, God. The test has taken its toll. I pray for deliverance. Others, God, need to feel your presence. Others need to know you're with them. And God, I pray for a moment for them to to be reminded that you're with them. Some of them need to know they're blessed. Some of them need to feel your favor again. See your favor. Lord, release your spirit upon this church. And allow lives to be transformed because of it. And I know, I know that I know that I know that you love us. And I'm so grateful for that love. I'm so grateful that you've made me a new creation. And I stand in a room full of new creations. 